In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who brings us together as His body, so that we might live in Him as His body. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, We've had the term out-of-body experience since the 1940s. Uh, It came from this guy named George Tyrell. Uh, George Tyrell uh, came up with the term. George Tyrell was a, uh, he he was a psychologist. He was uh, especially interested in abnormal psychology. And um, uh, what he started to study with out-of-body experiences was um, this thing where where people would come and they would report this this sense of uh, sort of hovering above their body a lot of times. Um, and, and what he found was that most of the time this came in moments of extreme stress in the person's life. Where, you know, it, it had been a moment where the person had been in extreme pain or it had been a moment in which the, the person was uh, going through sensory deprivation or this was a moment where the, the person was uh, otherwise stressed in their body. And, and so what, what George Tyrell said about this out-of-body experience was he said it, it was probably just sort of a, a coping mechanism of the mind that the mind actually uh, tried to separate itself from the body because the body was experiencing all of this stress and what you had was your brain sort of trying to, well, kind of trick itself into thinking that, oh, I'm not a part of that body anymore so I don't have to worry about all of the pain or all of the sensory deprivation or whatever is happening um, in the body. And this, of course, kind of interestingly, then uh, led to a lot of people sort of seeking out these (laughs) out-of-body experiences and saying, hey, that sounds kind of fun, I want to do that. Um, and so uh, they, they would try to get there in all sorts of different ways, by meditation, by taking lots of drugs, um, by, by doing all sorts of, of interesting stuff that would actually get you to this point where, where you were feeling like you were floating uh, above your body. And um, uh, this became known by all sorts of different names, and it became especially interesting in the 60s and 70s, and uh, it it became called um, all sorts of stuff like astral projection, which is my favorite, so, you know, I'm projecting myself into the the skies, um, uh, and, and all sorts of interesting stuff like that. And, and this is not really big news. I mean, this, uh, while the name came in the 1940s, this idea has been around in human history for a long, long time. In fact, even uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about somebody, we don't know who it is, but somebody who uh, went, was gathered up into the third heavens is, is the way that Paul talks about it. Now, uh, what Paul is talking about there is sort of this three-layer idea of the heavens that um, the first heaven is just kind of like the clouds that, that you see. All of our meteorologist friends here are interested in this layer of heaven. Um, and, and then you have the second layer of heaven, which is where all of the stars are. And, and it's, it's just a, sort of a little bit beyond. But then the third heaven, that's where God lives. 
And so Paul is saying, well, you know, I, I had this out-of-body experience, or this person that I know had this out-of-body experience, where they went to the third heaven. And we can't really tell if Paul is talking about himself, or if he's talking about somebody else here. And yet, so there's, there's this idea out there that, okay, well, you can have this out-of-body experience. And, and whatever that is, we, we have a recognition in Scripture that God can use that. that. That Paul is saying, hey, whatever was happening when he felt like he or this other person was gathered up into this third heaven, that God was using that in, in a way for good. And so we go, okay, well, that, that's out there. And so you, you have a lot of people that claim to have these out-of-body experiences, and, and you know, maybe um, they, there's something to that. There hasn't really been a definitive study done on this, but some estimates say that as high as 10% of Americans claim to have had at one point in time an out-of-body experience where they said, I didn't feel like I was in my body for, for some way. But I would say that, you know, a, there, there's probably a, a much larger grouping of Christians that feel like they've had an out-of-body experience. And the, this large grouping of, of Christians that feel like they've had an out-of-body experience, are you, know, you can kind of tell who they are by some of the things that they say. Some of, uh, some of the things that they say, like, um, well, you know, I just experience God by going out into the woods and finding Jesus there. They also say things like, well, you know, Luther's catechism doesn't say exactly that you have to go to church on the Sabbath. Uh, these are people that say, Oh, well, I just go to church so that I get fed myself. Those are all experiences of Christianity that are out of the body. Not meaning necessarily out of your body, but out of the body. Out of the gathered community of Christians. And that is at least some of what Paul is talking about in this reading from Ephesians. He's talking about that we should not be like these Gentiles. Now he's writing to Gentiles, so he's meaning not like Gentile culture. And he's saying, don't be like Gentile culture in the futility of their minds. And what he's kind of saying there is, look, the Gentiles, especially the Greeks, who the Ephesians would know, for them, the entire world is just about ideas. It's just about sort of being in your head. It's, it's almost like virtual reality in a very primitive early sense, where everything about your experience is in your head, but it's not necessarily in your limbs. And Paul is saying, well, that's a problem. That's a problem for exactly the same reason that, well, we kind of look at people that say that they've had out-of-body experiences sometime with a little bit of a cocked eyebrow. And we say, oh, really? You've had an out-of-body experience, have you? Sure. Because there's no proof. There's no evidence. There's no nothing there. 
And if you're living in the futility of your minds, if you're engaging with Christianity simply in a mental state, then you're probably not experiencing all of Christianity. In fact, whoever sold you on the idea that you can experience Christianity just sort of by yourself sold you something that is dangerous and potentially heretical. Because it's something that is meant to be lived as a community. It's even what lonely Elijah is recognizing in the Old Testament reading. That he's recognizing that it's not good for him to be alone. That he's off by himself and he feels like killing himself. Even after a big, huge win, he goes off by himself and he's struck in this moment of desolation where God finally has to send him an angel and feed him some stuff and say, get out of here. Go on this journey. Get. And that's the reality for all of us. That this Christian experience is not meant to be an experience that is strictly individual. Now you are an individual, and so you can't get away from the notion of individuality. Even when you're in a crowd, you're still, well, yourself in a crowd. But God is saying, don't put so much emphasis on the individual here. Instead, put the emphasis on the community. Put the emphasis on the body. Put the emphasis where it should be. And Paul gets to that with this brilliant metaphor that he paints for the Ephesian people. This brilliant metaphor of a thief. Now, I think it's a brilliant metaphor for a couple of reasons, but I think the first reason that I think that it's a brilliant metaphor is that we all don't like thieves. You know, not many of us self-identify as thieves. You know, we're, we're like, other sins, we're totally there. We're like, yeah, that's who I am. Thievery, something about that one. We're just like, ah, yeah, you know, I may be an adulterer, a Sabbath breaker, everything under the sun, but don't you call me a thief. (laughs) There's just something about it that's especially heinous. And so uh, this one kind of flies under the radar, and we, we hear what Paul has to say about this thief, that he should stop stealing. And we go, yeah, he should stop stealing. And that he should be given a job so that he can then go and be generous to other people. And we go, yeah, we should work and be generous to other people. And we're like, yeah, let's, you know, we're all about following the Bible at this point. Because, well, it's somebody else. But the thing about this is, is that every time that we sin... We can see that sin as a theft. Every one of the commandments that we break, we can see as a theft. That we steal from God his glory when we have other gods set before us. We steal from God his good name when we use his name in vain. And we steal from God the 
time that he is due when we break the Sabbath. We steal from the authorities that he has placed in front of us when we break the fourth commandment. That we steal from people their health and their, their even life when we break the commandment, do not kill. That we steal from people their spouses when we lust. That we steal from people their possessions when we steal. That we steal from people their good names when we take away their good names by bearing false witness. And that we even steal from ourselves. That we steal from ourselves the joy and the thanksgiving of what God has given to us when we begin to covet other people's lives and other people's possessions. The ninth and 10th commandments. And the whole idea here is that when you are not gathering together with Christian community, you're stealing yourself away from University Lutheran or wherever it is that you normally go to church. That what happens there is that there's a loss. A loss that's felt. In fact, the elders and I haven't done this for a little while, partially because other things have been going on, but we we used to send out these letters to people that attended uh, about 75% of the quarter or more. And we specifically say in there, thank you. Thank you for coming 75% or more of the Sundays. Because when people come and they see you, that means something to them. That means, first of all, that you're here. They can rely on you. That also means that you're here and you're showing that this is, well, worth something to you. That's where our our English word worship comes from, by the way. Uh, worship, it, it's this old English term, it, it means worth-ship. And uh, the, the interesting thing about that is that, well, very few of us in this room probably own a boat. And so we have no idea what is worth-ship. But maybe if we like mess with our language a little bit, we can make that a little bit clearer. Instead of calling this experience worth-ship, Maybe if we just called it worth trip. Maybe if we said, hey, there's something that is worth something here. When you come here, well, you get something that is worth the trip. You get the forgiveness of your sins, you get the experience of Holy Communion. You get scripture thrown at you in a variety of different ways. But you also get other people. Other people that God has chosen to bring around you. And you get to be one of those people in that conglomeration. And that is totally worth the trip. Having an out-of-body experience, sitting on your tatami mat on a Sunday morning, 
trying to astrally project yourself into this sanctuary. That's probably not going to do a whole lot for you. But your act of worship starts when you get up in the morning and you turn off your alarm and you don't go back to sleep. Your act of worship starts when you get into the shower. At least a few of you do. Your act of worship starts where you turn that ignition on your car. That act of worship starts when you walk into this room. Your act of worship starts because you're showing God and even showing yourself that what you receive when you walk into this building on a Sunday morning is worth the trip. It's worth it to be a part of his body. So now may you, this week, see yourself as a part of Christ's body, even when we're apart. And may that cause you to act in a way where you don't steal, but rather that you're generous to the body of Christ and to all those around you. Amen.